Well, it's good to be back home. Uh, I uh, heard great reports last Sunday. I want to thank Pastor Ellie for, uh, for his message last Sunday morning. And uh, we're so blessed to have uh, an, amazing, an amazing team here. But I will tell you that uh, I don't know what it's like for you when you're not here on a Sunday. But I, can I tell you, when I'm not in Calvary on Sunday, I miss it. And so the opportunity to be a part of such a powerful worship experience and to be a part of a, a church family that comes together and expects God's presence and anticipates miracles to happen, there's, I, I, I think there's nothing better. So it is, it is great to be home. Thanks for praying for Jody and I as we uh, traveled uh, this past week. And we had a, just a great opportunity. We had a combination of, 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 of ministry and some time away. And uh, so it, it, it was interesting to me though. we were, so we were in Europe, we, we flew into London and then uh, spent some time in London, then on to Scotland. And everywhere we went, whether it be in a, in a restaurant or, or the cab ride from the airport to the hotel or back to the airport, everyone wanted to talk to us about what was happening in the world of politics in the United States. <laughs> everyone wants to know uh, who is going to win the election? And everyone wants to know what my opinion is of Donald Trump. And here's the reason why. Here's the reason why this has so captivated the interest, I believe, of the world. It's because of the issue of, of anger, angst, the, the level of discord that there is in the discourse. And as we continue our series bad apples. I want to talk to you about that subject this morning. I want to talk to you about this issue of anger. God, through his Holy Spirit, inspired Paul to write the words in Ephesians chapter 4 when he says this, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry or, or, or don't allow bitterness to set in as a result of your anger. Why? Because Bitterness, given opportunity to take root, will spring up and defile many. So, in your anger. I find that interesting. In your anger. You know what that tells me? It tells me that on some levels, anger is an inevitability. Right? Because the Bible doesn't say to not be angry. But here's what it does say. In your anger, do not sin. Well, what, what does sin mean? Well, sin means literally to miss the mark, right? To, to be pulled off target. So in your anger, don't allow it to pull you off target. In your anger, don't become susceptible to missing the mark. And whatever you do, don't hold on to that anger. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. God, I come to you this morning, and as we consider this topic of anger, God, let us be honest with ourself and with you. God, speak to each one of us specifically on this topic. And we thank you that this morning that we're not in an environment of condemnation, but we've come to a place to spend time with a loving God who wants to fashion us and form us into vessels of honor. So God, I I stand before you as an imperfect man. And I stand before you and I, I ask you to do this in me, God. Reveal those areas in my life where unbridled anger, unchecked anger has mastery over me. 
has control over me is thwarting my testimony and, and robbing me of the preferred destiny that you have for me. And, and God, my, my prayer is that that would not just be the case for myself, but God, I pray for, for every man and, and, and woman here, for every person that's watching via live stream this morning all across America and around the world. God, for, for everyone that will, that will see this via video. God, that you will, that you will use our time together that you'll use this message to bring us to a greater understanding of the issue of anger and, and the danger of unbridled anger. Thank you that you never stop working on us. And thank you for the work that you're going to do on us today. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we woke up today uh, to yet another headline of one of our nation's urban centers on fire. Yesterday, a police officer shot an armed man at 44th an hour in Milwaukee's Sherman Park neighborhood. We don't know any details of why. We're not sure whether the shooting was justified or unjustified. But the simple fact that there was a shooting and word began to spread through social media, hundreds came and burned their own neighborhood. You know, this isn't a new thing in America. March 4th, 1861. Abraham Lincoln stood. An unfinished Capitol building as the backdrop behind him. A divided nation before him. And he gave his inaugural address as the 16th president of the United States. It was a, it was a bitter campaign. Accusations going left and right. And, and, and when the election was over in November of 1860... There was very clear dividing lines. Of the seven states that initially formed the Confederate States of America, 99% of the counties Lincoln lost. He 1% of all the counties. And obviously did not carry a single state in the South. And immediately after the election was over, State after state after state began to secede from the Union. In total, there was 11. But by the time Lincoln was inaugurated, it was the initial seven. And so he addressed a country that was being ripped apart by unbridled anger. And and friends, not just unbridled anger, but, but really... If you have an understanding of history, if you, if you have an understanding of, of even the resolutions that were passed, the, the laws that were enacted, unjustified anger. See, many people think that the Civil War was a fight between slavery and freedom, and that, that wasn't even it. 
Because there were already laws that had been passed that said that no states that had slavery would be forced to abolish slavery. In fact, Lincoln addressed that in his inaugural address. He said, if you look at my speeches, if you look at the laws that are on the books, there's nothing that says anything to the contrary. It wasn't a difference of philosophy. It was a separation that was fueled almost entirely by unexplainable and unjustifiable anger. And at, at the end of his inaugural address, he said this. He says, I loathe the close. He goes, I, I, I know that I have to close. And he closed with this statement. As he, as he pleaded to a nation that was being ripped apart by rage, that was being ripped apart by unbridled anger, that was being ripped apart by unjustified disdain of one person to another. And he said this, he said, we are not enemies, but friends. We must never be enemies. Though passion may have strained, it must not break our bonds of affection. And he goes on to say this, he, he said, the mystic chords of memory that echo from every battlefield and patriot grave to every living heart and hearthstone all over this broad land will yet swell the chorus of union. When again touched, as surely as they will be by the better angels of our nature. He said this, we, we have the ability to come back together. We have the ability to walk in in, in health, we have the ability to walk in unity. We have the ability to function in dignity. We have the we have the chance to be one nation, one people. If we'll if we'll just appeal to our better nature. I will. Quote a scripture that I've mentioned many times throughout this series that we have been doing, Bad Apples. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. We are an angry nation today. We are an angry nation today for no good reason. And people run to this issue of anger. There is a solution. And, and not only is there a solution, I believe this. I believe that the body of Christ is called to be the solution to the anger that is ruling current culture. If, if the church is going to be the answer, we first have to deal with our own issues of anger. Oh, wow, that just went from applause to, whew. now he's going to talk about me. <laughs> That's okay. Hey, we're all friends here, right? It's okay. You have anger issues. Welcome to the club. Look, turn to the person next to you and go, you have anger issues. They already knew. You're not telling them anything new. 
Here's what anger is. Anger is, anger is an, an, it's an emotion, right? And uh, it's, it's, it's characterized by, by antagonism towards someone or, or, or something that you feel has, has, has wronged you. More often than not, del- de- deliberately wronged you. And here's, here's what I want you to know. Is that anger can be a good thing. Much like each one of the topics that we've talked about in this Bad Apple series... What we're dealing with is we're dealing with something that God has developed within you, something that God has hardwired within you that the enemy takes and twists and distorts for his purpose. But anger is a, at its core, it's a good thing. That's the reason why scripture does not say don't be angry. It says in your anger do not sin. Right? Here's what we know. We know this looking through scripture. There, there are many times that God is angry. So anger in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's what we allow anger to do and, and how we allow anger to motivate us. And when we allow anger to control us, that becomes the issue. See, anger gives us way to express negative feelings. Uh, it gives us motivation to find solutions to problems. This issue of of excessive anger. See, anger is, friend, at its essence, anger is part of the basic physiological reaction to danger. It's the fight or flight response. And and this this physiological shift that happens when when we have anger, what it does is it, it moves us out of the thinking mode and it mobilizes us for immediate action. As though our life depends upon it. Okay? That's what anger does. Anger moves us from thinking to acting. And and that's okay if there's guardrails there. That's okay if we allow the presence of God and the convicting work of the Holy Spirit to keep us within the parameters of decency and godliness. But can I be honest with you? In far too many Christian lives, in far too many Christian homes and far too many Christian marriages, we've removed the guardrails. And the anger in our conversation, the anger in our relationships, the anger in the interaction with our spouse or with our children is such that it devastates our testimony. And strangles our relationships. See, that anger, it's a natural response to a, to a troubling situation. And what, that, what it should do is it should cause us to look inward and to look upward. Instead of attacking outward. Let me say that again. That anger should cause us to look inward and upward rather than attacking outward. See, recognize this gift that God has given you in anger. Let let me give you an example, okay? When you're on the road and someone's acting crazy, there's a, a, a sense of anger that develops. Why? Because there is perceived, or maybe actual, there's perceived risk there, Right? Okay, so, you know, someone cuts in front of you in traffic and you have to slam on your brakes. What's your natural response? Do you applaud? 
Do you think I need to invite that person to friend day on, the September, on September 11th? It's not where your mind goes, does it? No, here's what happens. Is in that moment, the natural response, the human response is anger. Is there anyone here who does not get angry when somebody cuts you off in traffic? What medication are you taking? Just checking, right? So it is a natural response. It's a human response. We're all going to have that. The question is, what do we do with it? And, and we, 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 we tend to respond in a number of different ways. I want to highlight four of them real quickly. And I want to give you a, a scriptural example of this, okay? The, the first one that I want to point out to you is the maniac. Because I, I want to start with the beginning. Genesis chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there to Genesis chapter 4. Very beginning of the Bible. Uh, first book of the Bible, Genesis. And I want you to see this in Genesis, Genesis chapter 4. And I'm going to begin with the third verse. In the course of time, Genesis 4, 3. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Now, by the way, this is not a message on giving. But I, I want to point out something to you. That here's what we see. Cain brings some of the fruits as an offering to the Lord. Abel brings the first. Scripture says that the tithe belongs to the Lord, not 10%, that the first 10% belongs to the Lord. The first has always belonged to God, okay? The first child, the first day of the week, the first part of your day should belong to the Lord. We give the first to God. And here's what Abel did. Abel gave the first, devoted it to God. Abel responded out of commitment. Cain responded out of convenience. And in that, listen to this. It says, it says this, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. Genesis 4.4. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Now, Whose fault was it that God did not look favorably on Cain's offering? Let me help you. It was Cain's, right? Because Cain was disobedient to the directive that God had given, that the first fruits belong to the Lord. And, and understand this, that our God is a God who loves to bless. Our God is a God who loves to provide. And he loves to provide more than enough. God does not want you living in the land of not quite enough. God wants you living in a land of abundance. Over and over and over again, God's word talks about this issue of blessing. And it's God's desire to bless his children. And so we don't have to worry about not having enough. We don't have to worry about withholding from God and worrying that we won't have enough. But out of any number of different emotions, Cain decides, I'll give to God when it's convenient. Abel honors God by giving the best of the first. And God recognizes that and is pleased with Abel. He, he also recognizes Cain's lack of commitment and he's not pleased with Cain. Cain, rather than going, wow, I didn't do this well, gets caught in the comparison game, which is the same trap that Satan catches you in every day. And here's what Cain does. Rather than going, I blew it, he goes, my brother's a jerk. Right? And his anger burns against Abel. So much so that he sets his brother up and kills him. 
The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Listen even to the way that God comes with grace to Cain. He says, why are you angry? This isn't something to be angry about. Recognize this is an issue in your life. It's a struggle in your life. It's an area where the enemy is trying to trap you and keep you bound. And even in the response to God's loving rebuke to Cain, what does Cain do? Very next verse. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. It's the maniac. And for some of us, that's our response to anger, right? We're just filled with rage and we've got to do something. We've, we've got to act on it. And, and rather than dealing with the root issue, rather than addressing what, what has caused this anger to rise up within us, we look for something that we can place the blame on because we love to play the accuse and excuse game. We excuse ourselves and accuse someone else. And they then become the object of our rage. This is the root of almost all abusive situations. And I speak from experience, being violently abused as a child. I was not the source of my stepfather's rage. I wasn't what created this anger in him. But what would happen is this, if something would go wrong in the workplace, he would be disrespected in the workplace and it would be filled with this rage. And there had to be a place to vent his manic behavior. And I was convenient. And here's what I know. I know that there are some in this room today that you've got this issue of anger in your life and where you are venting that anger like a maniac, you, you know that is, it is unjustified. And in fact, quite possibly, you've apologized it over and over and over again. But you continue to be stuck in this vicious cycle because you don't know how to properly deal with the anger issue. Well, I got good news for you, friend. God brought you here today to finally to set you free from that. Because you don't have to walk in that. You don't, you don't have to live in that. But it's not just the maniac that God wants to deal with. He also wants to deal with the mute. Take your Bibles and flip over to the book of Jonah. You'll find Jonah close to the end of the Old Testament. He's considered to be one of the minor prophets. Not that he's minor in what he has to say, but just because it's a, a smaller book. And, and, and you'll find this. In, in the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 4, uh, real quickly, if you don't know the story, here's the story. Jonah was a prophet. He was a spokesperson for God. God was sending Jonah to the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was a city that is in present day Iraq. It was a part of the nation of Assyria. In fact, it was the Assyrian capital. It was a major city of the day. And God wanted the Assyrians to know about who he is. And he wanted the Assyrians to walk in his grace and mercy. Now, as an Israelite, you're not going to like the Assyrians. Why? Because that's the nation that you're constantly doing battle with. 
And so God says to Jonah, his prophet, who is an Israelite, I want you to go to a city in Assyria and share with them that I am the one true God and if they don't repent, I'm going to destroy them. Jonah goes, I hate the Assyrians. I'm not going there. If they don't hear and they don't repent, God's going to destroy them. Good, I want them destroyed. We can finally be done with them. I'm sick of having to battle them. I'm not going to Nineveh. It wasn't fear that kept Jonah from going to Nineveh. We know that because we know his response, right? So instead of, instead of heading east to Nineveh, Jonah heads west to the coast, gets on a boat, and is going the exact opposite direction. And the seas kick up. The sailors go, something's not good. They go, why are we facing this issue? And it becomes apparent that the reason they're facing this issue is because they've got a man on their boat that is rebelling against God. Jonah says, look, I'm the reason why you're facing such calamity. Throw me over and everything will be fine. And they said, how about we just throw some stuff over instead? Jonah said, you can try that, but it's not really gonna work. They try it, not so much. And they go, you know what, God, please don't, harm us, but it seems like you're really mad at this dude. We're tossing him into the sea, right? Sea goes calm. Jonah is going down. He gets swallowed by a big fish, big fish, whale. I don't care, okay? Some large object in the sea swallows him. He's in the belly of this thing for three days, and then the fish vomits him up on dry land. And you know what, Jonah, I just heard somebody go, ooh, yes, I know, ooh, but that's what the Bible says, that the Bible says vomited. And so anyway, ooh, yes. Okay, I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine for a moment what this guy would look like if he was in the belly of a fish slash whale for three days. Okay, think about all the acids in there. Think about what it did to his clothes and what it did to his skin. So more than like a naked, very white guy, okay, goes running to Nineveh and he says, repent or face the wrath of God. Let me tell you something, a naked, very white guy telling you repent, I think you're gonna listen. Right? Because that guy looks frightening. But Jonah does it. Jonah, he reluctantly, he goes and he says, repent or face destruction. And here's what happens. The Assyrian king, Shalmaneser, says this. He goes, listen, we need to listen to this super white guy. I believe that what he's saying is true. And he says, we are going to repent Not only are we going to repent, here's what we're going to do. We're going to fast. Not only are we going to fast, every person's going to fast. Every animal is going to fast. That's serious repentance, right? When Fido doesn't get to eat, look, dog, bow and repent because I don't want to take any chance of God smiting us. Or, 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 you know. First, first story of saved animals in the, in, in the Bible, animals fasting. I don't know if they prayed, but we know they did fast. So what, is, what does Jonah do? This great, this great city that is the capital of this nation that was creating so much conflict for Israel, the opportunity potentially for a a mighty godly kingdom to develop. 
You would think that Jonah would go, this might be the end of some pretty brutal battles. This man, for God to demonstrate his love and his grace for these people that have been our rivals for so long. That seems like the natural, no. Look at Jonah 4.1. But Jonah was displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and a compassionate God, slow to anger. By the way, that's a great one to underline. Okay, our God is slow to anger. You're abounding in love, a God that relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Really? Really, Jonah? It's that these people are not going to experience the wrath of God because they've repented and they've acknowledged their wrongdoing. That is such a bad thing that it's better for you to die than to live. You acknowledge to God that the very reason that you did not want to come, that when you were still at home and God told you to do this, that's the reason that you ran to Tarshish, not because you were afraid because there was some great warring army, but because you did not want them to come to a saving knowledge of an almighty God. You have such angst towards these people, such anger towards these people, pretty much. And here's what he does. He goes out to the edge of the city and he sits. All right, I want to see what's going to happen. Cain was the maniac. Jonah's the mute. I'm not doing nothing. I'm just going to sit here and watch. And as he's sitting and watching, this vine grows up and it provides some shade for him. And then a worm starts to eat the vine and the vine withers and dies. And now he's more angry. <laughs> he's sitting there, he's bitter. Just bitter. And God asked him the question the second time in, in, in Jonah chapter 4. Jonah, do you have any right to be angry? Yes, I do. And I'm so angry that I could die. And God says this. He says, Jonah, you are so angry over a little vine that sprang up that I created. And yet there are hundreds of thousands in Nineveh that do not know their right hand from the left. Shouldn't there be compassion for them? See, we get this misguided emotion. We allow ourselves to become angry. So much so that instead of responding to those that are perishing, we'll just sit back and, and watch them. Next Sunday, right after church, I will, I'll leave right after church and, and fly from here to Brussels. And, and I'll spend the following week in a number of the refugee camps, the Syrian refugees that are, that are flooding into Europe. Because right now, there's, there's no real strategy. And we're working with one of our powerful ministry partners, Convey of Hope, to really to, to, to develop a, a, a strategy uh, to reach these people and, and to help create some sustainability. It's, it's an important thing. 
And I heard one of our missionaries say this. He said, when the refugee crisis was starting and these people were flooding in, he said he was really angry about it. And God said this. God said, I'm bringing the nations to your door. Recognize what you see as a hassle I've created as an opportunity. And, and, and friend, the number of those folks that are coming to a radical salvation experience that you will not see reported on any television program that you will not find on the internet that not, will not be recorded in a newspaper I'm telling you they are coming to Christ by the tens of thousands dramatic salvations but it's real easy for us to play the role of the mute or the martyr Luke chapter 15 Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son the prodigal son who says to the father, Father, I, I, I want what is due to me. And I want it now. The father gives it to him and he goes and he squanders it on wild living. And, and when it's all gone, severe famine comes across the land so much so that he ends up working as a servant, sleeping with the pigs and eating what the pigs eat. And it tells us there in Luke the 15th chapter, it says, And when he came to his senses, he realized my father's servants live better than this. I'm going to go... I'm going to say to my father, I'm no longer worthy to be your son, but would you please take me in as a servant? And, 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 and when the prodigal son came, while he was still a long way off, the father sees him and runs to him. And the son attempts to apologize, and, and the father stops him and says, bring the best robe, put it on my son, a ring for his, his finger, sandals for his feet, kill the fatted calf. We are going to have a celebration because my son that was dead is alive again. And everyone is rejoicing except for one. The older brother. The older brother who had stuck around. And here's what the older brother says. Luke 15, 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered to his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Isn't that an interesting perspective? He's the elder son of the master. Has all of the wealth of the father at his disposal. In realism, he probably lives a pretty good life, but from his perspective, all these years, I've been slaving for you, and what do I get? Nothing. And this punk little brother of mine goes out and spends money on prostitutes and comes back and you throw a party for him? Really? Really? You see, in Cain, we've got the maniac. In Jonah, we've got the mute. Now we're seeing somebody in anger playing the role of the martyr. Me, 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 me. Why does it always have to be me? Why am I always, how come I don't get? I think I deserve a little something. If nothing else, a little R-E-S-P-E-C-T. It's the way that we express our anger as a maniac, as, as a mute, as a martyr, or as a manipulator. In, in Luke the 6th chapter, it tells us this about the Pharisees, that they were furious and, and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. And they looked at ways to manipulate and ways to trap him. See, oftentimes when we think about anger, we just think about the maniac. But the maniac is not the only one. 
See, you walked in here today and you thought, you know what, spouse, you've got to deal with your anger issue. Parent, you've got to deal with your anger issue. Child, you've got to deal with your anger issue. Friend, coworker, boss, you've got to deal with your anger issue. Pastor, you've got to quit pointing fingers at me. You've got to deal with your anger issue. Well, friends, it's not just the maniac that has an anger issue. So does the mute. And so does the martyr. And definitely so the manipulator. And I'm not here to put you on blast. I'm not here to pick on you. But I'm here to tell you that God has a better way. He's, he's got a, a better way. So I started thinking about this issue of anger and, and an antidote to anger. And here's what, I, here's what I found. I found this, that, that if I would just look at some of the things that the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon. Solomon was the king who followed David, right? David, man after God's own heart. David, the one who, who, who slew Goliath. David, the, the second king over Israel. He's followed by Solomon. And Solomon... God tells Solomon, Solomon, you can have what you want. And Solomon asks for wisdom. And, and Solomon is widely regarded as the wisest man who ever lived. And if you read through the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, they were written by Solomon. Priceless. And Solomon has a lot to say on this issue of anger. And I just, I just want to point out four things real quickly. A, 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 a kind of an antidote to anger or how I, I can overcome anger. Number one is this. It's important that I understand why I get angry. Here's what it says in Proverbs 19. It says this. A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is his glory to overlook an offense. So in those moments when I find anger rising up, here's what is important. It's important that I don't just react, but that I respond. It's important that I have an understanding of of why I'm so angry. Because oftentimes, the vent of our anger is a vent of convenience. The wife who screams at her husband. The husband who slaps his wife. When the true issue is, it's not the frustration in the moment. But it's the lack of value that he feels in the workplace. That it's, it's not the issue in the present. It's the concern over the family that has caused such anxiety. And if we just stop and, and just pause and, and have an understanding of why and learn to respond rather than to react, a man's wisdom gives him patience. It's the reason why the Word of God says we should be slow to wrath. Slow to wrath. Slow to wrath. I'm not here to pick on you. But I want to challenge you to ask yourself this question honestly today. Are you slow to wrath? I mean, how quickly do you go to blast? How, how quickly do you go to rage? 
slow to wrath. A friend of mine tells the story of coming out of New York and being on one of the suburban trains. And uh, they get on the train and there's a father with three small boys. And the father's sitting there and he's reading the paper and, and the, boys are, the boys are acting up. Just, just being foolish. They're hitting passengers, not, not, not intentionally, but just because of their goofing around and throwing stuff. And, and, and the, the other passengers in, the, in, that, in that train car, they're getting more and more irritated, more and more irritated. And finally, one of the passengers in the car has said, absolutely enough. And they say to the guy, sir, can you do something about your brat kids? You're the parent. Can you do something, please? And the guy lowers down the newspaper that it appeared that he was reading and his, the tears that have been flowing are very obvious. And he said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. My mind was in another world. You see, we, we came to the city to get away and for vacation. And while we were here, my wife passed away. He said, she rode in the passenger compartment on the way up. She's riding in baggage on the way back, and I don't know what I'm going to do. Isn't it amazing when you know the rest of the story, how the perspective changes? That's the reason why. It, it just, take a little bit, to pause. Get the whole picture. Understand why, why we're angry, because... The majority of the time, the triggers for our anger are not the source of our anger. Most of the time, it's because we feel like we're being devalued. And and that's the reason why one of of the big ways to deal with this issue of anger in our life is, is to look to God for my sense of worth. Not not to not to how society views me, not, not, to, not to corporate recognition. Proverbs, the 14th chapter, says this. It says, a wise man fears the Lord and he shuns evil, but a, a fool, is, he's hot-headed and he's, he's reckless. It's that, it's that walking with God that gives us my, my sense, my identity is in him. A patient man has great understanding, but a quick tempered man displays folly. It's not just understanding why I get angry, but pausing to think before I respond. And here's the, here's the fourth one, and I think this is the biggie. This is, this is the one that God just really powerfully put on my heart as I was preparing for this message. And that's this. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. You know what I found, um, and it's a comment. This is a comment that I make often. If you've been around, you've heard me say this. It's I, I have these things that I say regularly. I call them edisms. It's just things that, um, and they're just so woven into I believe um, who God's called me to be and the message that He's given me. And one of the things that I'll say often is this: is that if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And and we live these marginless lives. 
And, and what we'll do is we'll offer a lot of excuse for these marginless lives. Look, if I don't put in these hours, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be fired. I can appreciate that. But I want you to understand. I want to help you with something. Are you ready? When I was a child, and, and some of you aren't old enough to remember this. Some of you are a little bit older than me, and, and, and you'll be able to relate. But when I was a child, we had this thing out on the front porch, because we had a front porch. Remember those? And, uh, yeah, and out on our front porch, there was this little metal box, okay, Puck's Dairy. And every morning I could go out there and I could open up that metal box and there would be milk in that box. It was a magical box. Milk just appeared every morning there. In a glass bottle. Oh. When milk came in glass. You young people, you don't know. You do not know the scores that plastic is on, on, on the face of our nation. And for me as a little kid, that box was the source of milk. If that box was gone, my world would be crushed. Because how would I get milk without the little metal Puck's Dairy Box? But as I got older, you know what I came to understand? That that box was not the source, it was a resource. Sir, your job is not the source of your income. It's a resource that God uses. And don't think, don't think for a moment that you have to violate the principles of the word of God in order to keep your job because somehow you have mistakenly bought in to the lie that it's your source when it is simply a resource and our God has unlimited resource. And so what we do is we, we trample over these principles and one of the big principles that we trample over is the principle of the Sabbath. And in and, and the Sabbath, God did not make man for the Sabbath. He made the Sabbath for man. God hardwired you with a need for rest. And you're wore out. Some of you that are here today, the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. Yeah. Just, just breathe a little bit. You're working in a job you don't like to buy things that you don't need and you don't want to impress people you don't like. And the problem is they're always going to make something bigger And something better. And so you're caught up in this competitive game. You're caught up in the illusion of the American dream. And this American dream, quite honestly, friends, it's an American nightmare. You know what I noticed in Europe? The bottles of soda are about this big. Somehow it was enough. I had, I had waffles for breakfast every day while I was there. The waffles were about this big, two of them, and they were enough. What? My waffle is not as big as an entire plate? I, I don't know how I'm going to survive. I think I'm going to waste away to nothing. 
And we are the most stressed out, out of shape, in debt generation in the history of humanity. And we're living on the ragged edge and because we have no margin, we're quick to snap. Just pause. Just breathe. Understand why you get angry. Sir, you need to never again call your wife an idiot. Because you're being mistreated in the workplace. Ma'am, you need to never again scream at your children. Because you're frustrated in other relationships. We as a culture, we have to stop burning down our own neighborhoods. And beating people up because they have a different political opinion than us. If you are here and you're a Hillary Clinton fan, I'm your fan. Now, I know some of you just got upset that I even said that. That's okay. If you're here and you're a Donald Trump fan, I'm your friend. If you're here and you're a Libertarian Party fan, I can't remember the guy's name, but I'm sure he's a wonderful person. If by some chance he happens to see this, sir, I apologize. I don't know your name. Good luck in November. We can have differences of opinion. You can be a conservative and come to Calvary. You can be a liberal, as liberal as you want to be, and you can come to Calvary. This is not a Republican church. It's not a Democrat church. It's not a Green Party church. It's not a Libertarian church. Well, we've got to stand up for conservative values. I have to stand up for Jesus values. And and here's what I will tell you. Listen, here's what I will say. I will make this political statement. In November, you better vote, and you better vote your values. Don't vote the person that you like or dislike. Vote your values. And then just breathe a little bit. This week, I got to do something that's on my bucket list. I I got to uh, play. I played golf in Scotland. I played the old course at St. Andrews. Actually, the view out of our hotel room was looking down 18 at St. Andrews. Just an amazing thing. And my caddy was the most angry man I've ever met. Oh, was he angry. His name was Kim. That might be why he was angry because he had, could be mistaken as a girl's name. If you're here, sir, and your name is Kim, I apologize to you. But, uh, or anybody watching, I apologize to all the male Kims of the world. Um, not just because I've made somehow reference that your name is a girl's name, but because you're a man named Kim. But anyway... Um, I said to him at one point, I said, I said, Kim, I need you to help me. I said, because I'm going to be traveling back to the U.S. on Saturday. I'm going to be speaking in my church on Sunday. And I'm speaking on anger. I said, so Kim, I need to know what makes you so angry. And he goes, you know, I lost sight of that a long time ago. He goes, I, I don't know. I'm just angry. I said, well, it works for you. And uh, 
I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that most of you, you don't even know why you're angry. But here's what you know. You know you get angry very quickly. And here's what also I believe. I believe this. I believe that before I even began this message this morning, that God had placed it in your heart that you need to do something about this anger issue in your life. And this is your moment. I want you to stand with me. Confession is good for the soul. God's word says this. It says that we are to confess our faults one to another. And I think this is one of those that's a biggie, this issue of anger. Because I think anger is an issue where we think it's a private sin. Okay, let me help you. The people around you, they know you have an anger issue. They've seen you play the role of the maniac. Or they've been around you when you stepped in to the mode of the mute. They've heard you talk about how you're the martyr. They've experienced you being manipulative. But God wants to set you free from that. And it all starts with this. It all starts with confession. Confessing our faults one to another. And so in a moment, I'm going to pray for you. And after I pray, I'm going to invite you to come forward to an altar. To acknowledge before God and man, God, I want to acknowledge my anger issue and I want to surrender it to you today. I'm tired of acting like the maniac. I'm tired of playing the role of the martyr. God being the mute has made me weary. And I've hurt far too many people. I've left far too many casualties in my wake because of my manipulative behavior that's a result of my anger. It's time to deal with it today. There's there are some of you here that you need to take the hand of a spouse and you need to say this, I know I know that you have been the place that I have vented my anger. Will you go with me to an altar? There's some of you today that you need to find a parent or a child in the room. And you, you, need, to, you need to go and take them by the hand and say, look, you've experienced the vent of my anger and I want to be set free from this today and I want you to go with me and I want you to pray with me. Because not only does God want to set you free from your anger, he wants to bring healing into that relationship. Don't miss your moment. Don't miss the opportunity. So God, I pray right now, I come against fear right now in Jesus' name. I bind the enemy. I declare him a defeated foe. I speak victory in your house today. And now I pray a powerful presence of your Holy Spirit that it would sweep across this place. Breath of God, blow on your church. Let us do honest business with one another and with you as we acknowledge this issue of anger, unbridled anger in our life. God, I thank you for the miracles that are going to take place in lives individually. I thank you, God, for the miracles that are going to take place in restoration of relationship here in your church today. God, we commit it to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen.